Well, it's certainly be here, uh, good to be here this morning on a day when we have a joyous celebration of Jesus. That's, we're, we're going to turn a page right now. I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of each of you, as, and I'm trying not to look at anyone in the eye because I'd like to be able to get through a little bit of this sermon if possible. But uh, uh, Betsy already made my day. She said, Larry, we wanted to pull out all the stops this morning, a little organist humor. And she even had Alan up there to help her pull out all the stops. And she even rang the little Zamboni at the end up there, the little... <laughs> The little thing that flares around. So I feel like this has been a proper, proper service so far. I, I know it's not called a Zamboni. I don't know what it's called. I've ne- in, 20, in 22 years, I've never been able to remember what. What's it called, Betsy? A Zimbelstern. There you go. Whatever. That's close. That's as close as I can get. But you know, I, uh, I, I was telling Will, there's one way to be sure that you don't prepare the best sermon you've ever preached, and that is to try to prepare the best sermon you've ever preached. That will doom it for failure. So uh, that's certainly not what I have uh, attempted. What I want to do is continue our sermon series, um, Surprised by God. Uh, and, and yes, I'm going to share a story or two here and there, little bits of stories. Many of you have heard some of them before. Um, but I make no apologies for that because they are all just central and iconic stories uh, that, have, that have helped me as I have been surprised by God now for over 30 years as Lynn and I have, and the girls have made our way into and through these different seasons of ministry. And, and I begin with, with one that one of the first stories I ever told here, but, but it seems like a good place to start. Uh, and it goes back to 1985. In 1985, for one year, I was the announcer for the University of Tennessee Pride of the Southland Band. And, um, I, and I went to the very first rehearsal uh, during the, in the middle of the week over at Neyland Stadium. And I was nervous uh, because Dr. Julian, who was the, the esteemed and past uh, uh, director who uh, who was just who, who was brilliant, but he could also be a real tyrant. Uh, I was scared, and so I got there and uh, was standing on the sideline. And his assistant director, Jim Sparks, handed me a, a script. And there's a script for the what the announcer says, and it's cued to uh, band formations, not necessarily songs. They have the song listed, but the, but you're supposed to watch for this formation to form and that formation to form. And when you see that, then you begin reading the the script, whatever it is. So I'm standing there on the sideline and I've got my script and they're going through the show and, and standing, you know, those fields have a really high crown on them and you really can't see all that well, but you can't see anything. All it looked like from standing on the sideline was just everybody walking in a different direction at the same time. It looks like chaos. There's no formation at all. It's just people moving around and playing instruments. And I got really nervous because I was trying to, you know, read it in in my head as I went. And I had no idea what they were doing. And I think Jim Sparks uh, saw that on my face and he walked over and he said, why don't you hop up about 50 rows or so? And so I just kind of trotted up the, uh, the steps of Neyland Stadium out of 50 or 60 rows and turned around. And when I turned around, there was, at that, at that particular moment, they, they made a formation of the, of the state of Tennessee, and there it was. And then I watched as they did the circle drill, and I watched as they did the big UT, and they made some other formations. And from up there, just underneath the press box, 
You can see everything. You see how everything connects. There's no chaos at all. And it wouldn't be until a few years later, I had not begun the journey back to faith at that point, uh, though, though there had been some markers along the way, but we hadn't gotten back into church yet. But I remember thinking later on, of course, that's, that's life. That's, that's life in a nutshell. We don't have a press box view much of the time. God does. And so much of our life appears to be just random. And sometimes, in fact, it's chaotic. And we don't understand why this person went that way and this person went over there and we wound up over here. And we don't understand how the music of our life fits any of this stuff. And it can sometimes seem like a mistake. And sometimes it can seem very painful when things happen that we don't understand. But what I know now as I look back is that God's in the press box. And God has a press box view. And God sees how every single maneuver and every single step you take and the steps that other people take and all the things that happen in your life that seem to be so random are not really if you're looking from God's perspective. You see how it all fits together and you see these formations that it makes. And one thing that I've come to believe so much is that God wants to open, our, the, open the eyes of our heart so that we can see how really good he is. Because when you're in the midst of that chaos, the last thing often you want to hear about is that God cares and God loves you. Uh, because so many times you're like the psalmist who's shaking your fist in the air going, I don't want to hear about God. God, what is happening to me? Why is this happening? It's only when we seek his perspective that we can begin to understand that. So, so how do we get, as, as, we, as we continue our sermon series today, we're talking about surprised by God's goodness. And so many times people miss God's goodness because they aren't able or willing to see it from God's perspective. And the fact of the matter is we can get that press box view. Not all the time. Everything is revealed whenever we can handle it. There's a reason why we don't know everything that's going on because we couldn't handle it. But God lets us see just at the right time if we'll pay attention. And so what I want to talk about for a minute is, is this idea of, of God's goodness. And <sighs> It presupposes that we know him, and if we are willing to accept that God is good and his goodness is all around, it presupposes that we know him enough to have heard perhaps Romans 8.28, which is, if I had to write a life, if I had to give a life verse uh, for the little paragraph they had about me in the annual conference journal this year as a retiree. And it's certainly Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, of those who've been called according to his purpose. Good and love are key words there. Hold on to those. Uh, it does not say that God makes things happen to see how we will react. It doesn't say that, that God will test us, and if we fail, we'll, we'll be miserable, and if we succeed, we'll be happy. That's not what it says. It doesn't say God makes any of this happen. It says that God will work through it, however. So uh, there's another passage where, God, where Paul 
Paul says the exact same thing. That is, of course, from Romans, which Paul wrote. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians, essentially, which were written at about the same time. And I think they come from this same way of thinking. And for just a minute this morning, I want to talk very seriously uh, to two constituencies, because if I'm guessing that we all find ourselves in one of these constituencies at one time or another, and there's some in here or online this morning that may be in that constituency right now. And there are folks who look around the world and they say, how can there be a God? How can there certainly be a good God when you look around? You say he's all-powerful and almighty, then why is there so much tragedy? Why is there so much trouble? And that's a good question. And then there's the constituency that says, you know what, my life has been just one fail after another, and I've had so much trouble, and I know why. It's because when I was younger, I did this, and I did that, and I don't go to church, and, and I don't pray, or I don't do it enough, or whatever. And I understand that God has just let me go to seed, or perhaps is trying to trip me up and teach me a lesson. And, and so they either think that God is bad, or that God is mad. And they miss all this goodness. And I just want to address that frontally this morning because we can all find ourselves in that place. And some people are stuck in that place. And we just can't have that. So, so let me read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And I think this really goes with the, chapter, uh, with, with the passage from Romans. Um, this is from Peter. I said Paul. This is actually Peter, but it echoes Paul's thought. This is, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, this is Paul. What? P, uh, I was, all right, I read, an, I read another passage this week where Peter, and I in fact use that in a devotional that you'll see tomorrow if you get our devotionals, where, where, where Peter, Peter makes the same kind of statement. He talks, Peter is in trouble. Peter was always in trouble. This was in, in Acts, in fact. And, and he was talking about how you just don't understand because you don't see where God's coming from. And now it's all confused. This is from Paul. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things are these things God has revealed to us by his spirit. And that's so rich. And that's where I want to stop for just a minute and talk this morning about this idea of, of, of seeing and hearing and thinking, trying to conceive of what's going on in our life, doing it from the world's perspective, or coming at it, listening for and watching for the Holy Spirit to give us clues, impulses, that we might be able to take a peek at it from God's perspective, because that makes all the difference. The first sentence is very clear. Um, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived. That's, that's a good way of, of seeing us the way we are as human beings, as just human beings on this planet. We, we take things in. Our senses take things in, and we try to understand it as best we can from the world's perspective, from our perspective, without any thought about where God comes from. And whenever we look at it, or, or is coming from when things happen, when, those, when we try to see it that way, there is no way we'll catch a press box view. There's no way we'll see how all those connections work. We experience the world through our senses, but we experience God when the Holy Spirit interprets the data. 
when we experience the world and all these comings and goings and things that happen, sometimes that the vagaries of life, as the poets say, and it all seems so random and tragic, that's just because our senses can only take in so much. We read the data as it is. This has happened. We don't know what it means, and so we start inserting our own meaning. But when we stop and listen for that impulse from the Holy Spirit to interpret the data, then we be, begin to be able to see the connections. There were two times that I'll just mention quickly uh, in, in my own life that were these moments where there was this impulse of the Holy Spirit. We talked about pervenient grace in here last week, and we're going we're gonna to bump into pervenient grace for just a moment this morning. I didn't know what to call it then. But I understand it, that that's what it was. When Lynn and I got married, I was just, my hair was still down to here, and, and I had just gotten off the road. I was only about a year or so removed from being on the road in a rock and roll band and all that that implies. And, um, and, and so Lynn and I were going to get married. We found each other again, loved each other desperately, always have, always will. So Lynn, uh, her parents lived here at the time. They'd moved down from Rhode Island to Sevierville. I've told the story. And uh, they wanted to get, Lynn wanted to get married in the Episcopal Church because they were Episcopalian. And at that time, I was a, as was it Jimmy Buffett says, I was a Frisbyterian. I believe that when you die, your soul gets stuck up on the roof and you can't get it back down. I mean, that's about all the faith I had, even after growing up at First United Methodist Church in Sevierville. So uh, we went up to see Father Rice, Father Charles Rice, I think his name was, who was the rector at the little Episcopal Church in Gatlinburg. And we talked, and he said, well, tell me, Larry, tell me about, tell me about your, uh, your faith and your growing up. Who is Jesus to you? And, you know, I said, well, you know, Jesus was a good guy, and, you you know, he, he just wants us to all love each other, and we'll all one day put on white robes and go down by the river and have bread and honey. I mean, you know, and it was, I was about that flippant, and he looked at me, and this was, I've, I've said this before, it's one of the two times that uh, an authority figure did this to me, and he looked at me and kind of smiled, then his face, uh, his smile went away, and he took off his glasses and pointed them at me. And he said, that's all well and good, but young man, you're going to need a lot more than that one of these days. Put his glasses back on. And you know, I had no idea what he said, but I knew it was important. And that was perhaps, that was, you know, that wasn't where I turned on a dime and changed my life, but it was where I stopped on the trail I was on. I paused and went, you know, you know that, hmm. I need, may need to think about that. And so if you fast forward really about, about uh, 12 years to where Lynn and I had, gone, had come back to faith, we were at Middlebrook Pike United Methodist Church. We had taken the disciple Bible study, and I finally met God on God's terms and, and was just being consumed by God. I mean, really. He was just, okay, I got you where I want you now. Let me, let me show you how good I am. And he was revealing things to me, and I started having, started sensing this idea that, hmm, you know, maybe, we, that's, this is crazy, but may, could I be a preacher? Me? Ah, probably not. But I was asked to do a, a little three-minute sermonette on, uh, a commitment Sunday, we were having a, a stewardship campaign, and, and Begill Smith was the pastor, and he asked me if I would speak. And his dad was there that day. His dad, who's gone now to glory, was one of the revered preachers in the Holston Conference. He was going to preach that day. 
So I got up and, and it was my turn and I had three minutes and I mean I had a story, I had a point and a prayer at the end. It was just this little three minute sermon that I worked on for two weeks and had it just right. So I did that. And at the end of the service we were all downstairs in the choir room taking our robes off and Gil's father came up to me and he looked at me and he said, what do you do son? And I said, I'm in the radio business. And he kind of looked at me like that, and he slapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I think you're in the wrong business. I understood that time. And it was, it was, it was, you know, it was one of those press box views where I could see coming back to faith and taking, teaching Sunday school and disciple Bible study and getting more involved and more involved and how all these dots were being connected. But it was that first provenient grace that got the whole thing started. And, and it's this impulse that the Holy Spirit gives us. Uh, and many people are alienated from God because they think that God is bad, because they can't see how these things connect, because they're only using their eyes and ears and their own ability to think. And they are not... They're not even trying to climb up into the press box. They've written God off before they ever gave God a chance. But God can, in fact, lift us up in those moments and let us see these connections. And then suddenly we start to see that what seemed to be bad is actually good. I've, many of you have seen me stumble around in the hallways and up here with vertigo. Um, and I discovered that I had vertigo flying an airplane on Christmas Day with my father-in-law. Um, and it was about 1991, and I was starting to make that move, you know, sort of really getting involved in the faith. And I started flying again. I was doing traffic reports for Pete Michaels while he was out of town. I was in the radio business. And I started thinking, you know, I love to fly. I'd forgotten how much I love to fly. And maybe, maybe I'll just be a, maybe I'll be a pilot and I'll be a commercial pilot. I started exploring what I would need to do to go back and finish my commercial license and get an instrument rating. I was really just, it just brought me in. And I was kind of letting everything else go to the side. I was teaching disciple Bible study at the time, and it was starting to shift. And on that day then, I go up and I'm, I hit this vertigo hits me with my, and I, we got, I won't tell the whole story, but, but it was very, very scary. And I did get the plane, obviously, back on the ground safely and went to see an ENT and he sent me to a neurologist and he said, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's not bad. You have vertigo and he gave me a name for it about that long. He said, you know, it's not going to kill you, but you can never be a pilot because you never know when you're going to get dizzy again. And I was so angry. Because I was ready to make the transition. I want, I'd always wanted to be a pilot. And I wanted to be a pilot. And I was really mad for a while. Until one day, I was just kind of praying in the car. And going, okay, God, what now what? I mean, I thought this was, I thought this was where I was going. Why, why, why has this happened? And, and I, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But it was as if God was up there, you know, just watching me, drumming his fingers, and waiting for, me to, for it to come to me. And it did. Oh, oh, this is not what you wanted me to do with the rest of my life. Now, I'm not saying God gave me vertigo. No, my father probably gave me vertigo. He, he stumbled around the house all the time. He had a terrible problem with it. But God used it. He worked through it. To show me something that I would have never seen. The thing, what we've experienced in 30 years in ministry, 
unbelievable. But it came from something really bad and really scary and really frustrating. But it was only when I was willing to slow down and stop just using my ears and my eyes and my heart and my, I mean, my own thinking to actually listen with the eyes of my heart for the Spirit to go, see, no, you can, we're going to move forward from this. And this can happen to you. It happens to me. It happens all the time. But these bad things happen. And we're trying to figure out why. But we can always step back and ask God for a closer look. And God can show us the connections. Everything isn't going to be perfect. But everything can make you perfect if you look with your heart. And what I mean by perfect is in, in the great Wesleyan sense of complete. Everything can help move us toward completeness if we're willing to see it from God's perspective. And that's God's best surprises whenever we see something as being so bad. And, and it is in the moment. I don't want to make light of that. But God wants to surprise us with how all of that could be something good. I was talking to Tom Baker just the other day, and Tom said, I asked Tom if I could mention his saga. And he said, you can say anything you want. You can, you know, you remember it's, we've just passed that year's anniversary where Tom Baker essentially died about three or four times uh, when he had massive heart attack and fell back on the parking lot and uh, cracked his head open. And he had two or three things that could have just killed him on the spot. But they didn't. And I remember, I remember the surprise on the look of the respiratory therapist's face who had, who had intubated Tom when they first put him in the, uh, when he first got him to the ER. And later on, whenever Tom had been released from ICU and taken up to the, to the which was amazing, to the cardiac floor, and the respiratory therapist walked in. It was the same one. And she was looking. She was just there doing rounds. And she was looking at Tom. And she looked at the chart. And she turned to Michelle, Tom's wife, and she said, I assumed he died. And she was absolutely shocked that it was him, surprised. But you know, through it all, it was amazing being there and being with Michelle and, and the girls. Um, through it all, the, the faith that they had, the whole time they had the press box view. It was horrible. When Michelle called me that day, and I was at Lake Junaluska, and she could barely complete a sentence because they had told her she, he probably wasn't going to make it. So we headed back in. But they ne their faith never wavered because they were in contact. They were doing the things they needed to do to be in contact with God and to get that press box view to see how it all might come together. God isn't bad. God is at work in the bad to create good like you've never imagined if you're willing to climb up in the press box. And that, and that takes some doing. We have to understand it requires some context. I started getting the context when I started reading the Bible, disciple Bible study, praying more, doing those things. That starts providing context. I remember once when I was in seminary at Emory University, they were having a soccer game. And it was a beautiful afternoon. Class was over. And I thought, I'll go. I don't know anything about soccer, but I'm going to go over there. So I did. And I sat up in the stands. I got in free with my ID. And they had a really good soccer team. And I tried to watch. I tried my best to watch for about an hour. And, you know, an hour had passed, and it was still nothing to nothing. 
And they ran this way, and they ran that way, and then they ran back day. And you know, the athleticism was remarkable. And I fully get, I fully understand that there was a strategy to attack and a strategy to defend. And beyond anything I can ever understand, it was all perfectly orchestrated and executed. But I didn't have that context. And to me, it was just random people running up and down the field, and I lost interest. And the same is true with God. There's no way we're ever going to be able to find this surprising presence of God in the midst of bad if we don't try to put ourselves in that context. And I'm saying that because some of us are. Some of us, some of you are involved in these devotions and involved in Bible studies, and, and you're doing those things to create that context. And for those of us, for those of you who are like I was a few years ago, and maybe you're taking a less emotional approach right now, I'm asking you please to consider getting more involved so that you can, you can be surprised by God in the best way possible when these things happen. And very quickly, the other thing that happens is, is that, you know, we think that these things have happened to us because God is mad at us. And I've just messed up one too many times, and I pushed him against the wall, and he's just going to let life wear me out. It's because, it has to be because of something I've done. That was, uh, that was what Job's friends kept telling him, if you've ever read Job. And then there's that story, though, with Jesus, uh, with the blind man, um, in John chapter 9. And it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened. He didn't say God did this to him. He said this happened. And because of this has happened now, God's glory can be displayed and Jesus healed him right there on the spot. And sometimes we confuse reaping the consequences of mistakes that we've made with God just wearing us out. Because it's a lot easier to blame somebody else than it is to blame ourselves. And we miss that surprise of grace from God when we do that. When Christy was a toddler, she had had this little side ponytail. And it was precious. Well, one day she decided, wonder what it would look like if I just cut it off right at the scalp. And she did. Took it right down to the scalp. And so I was at, I was at work and Lynn was, was still able to be at home with him and and so Lynn did what every mom would do in a situation like that. She looked at Christy and she said, you wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> so, so I got home and I walked into Christy's room and she was sitting on the side of her bed and her, and her eyes were puffy and red. She'd been crying all day because she felt, first of all, her little side ponytail was gone and she had disappointed her daddy and she didn't, she she was just a mess. And I walked in and I took one look at her. And I just picked her up and I sat down on her bed and she was facing me and I put my arms all the way around her and we just rocked. And I patted her back. I do that with my grandkids now and they pat me back. I love it. <laughs> I just patted her back and we rocked. And I didn't say a word about her hair. And I kissed her and we went in and had dinner. And that's, this is, this is, this is God's response. Every time I mess up, this is how I picture God. 
Now, she's going to have to live with that gap in her hair for, for a while. But there was no point in me piling on. That wasn't going to help anything. What she needed to know was that I still loved her. I wasn't mad. And this is the way it is with people who think God is mad at them because things are happening in their life. God doesn't, God doesn't want to spank you. God wants to hold you and rock with you. And that's very surprising to people. And no one will ever experience that surprise until you're willing to climb up in the press box and see it from his perspective. It was love that gave you your first chance when you first started breathing. It's the same love that gives you your next one. So don't confuse reaping the consequences of mistakes with God being mad at you. That's not the case. It's about grace. It's about being surprised by God's goodness when it's the last thing you expected. The last thing the Samaritan woman expected, who was the talk of the town for all the wrong reasons, was for Jesus to stop and talk to her. The last thing in the world she expected. Imagine how surprised she was. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Everybody hated him. He was up a tree. He was up a tree figuratively and literally. The last thing he expected was for Jesus to pick him and say, Zacchaeus, come down, come to your house for dinner. Fire up the grill. Shocked him. He had no idea. Surprised by God's goodness in Jesus Christ. Peter, Peter turned his back on Jesus. He thought he was done. Jesus surprised him with breakfast by the lake in his resurrected form. He surprised him and brought him back into the fold. It's grace. Imagine the Roman execution squad that drove the nails in his fingers and, and his feet. Imagine, imagine how they felt when they heard him say, forgive them, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Surprised by God? Anyway, you get the idea. This entire journey has been a dissertation into being surprised by God and being at this church and being all the that I would be allowed to come to this church. I came to this church against my will because I was at another church, but oh my gosh, I'm glad that it was God's will and not my will done in that moment because this has been the blessing of our life to be here. And his goodness, he has surprised us with his goodness at every turn. And you and others like you are the reasons why. And I will never forget that as long as I live. And it has created a level of faith and trust in God and his people that I would have never had otherwise. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for letting us be a part of you. Um, just keep your eyes open. Keep looking. God, the next surprise is right around the corner. Keep climbing toward the press box, looking toward him, and he'll show you how all of these things in life that seem so random really aren't. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your incredible love. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for the way you surprise us constantly with your great goodness, Lord, even in the midst of bad even in the midst of tragedy, you are there showing us how good you are and how much you love us. Thank you. Lord, I pray for 
for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to have been here and been a part of the ministry of this church. And I pray, oh God, for your Holy Spirit to roar through this church and to take this, this incredibly anointed leadership group that you have uh, and, and all of these incredibly anointed leaders in this church, oh God. Lead them. Take them up into the press box and they can, so they can have a good view of all the good things you're going to do from this moment forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.